Welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan, chatting to some of the UK's leading business professionals, sharing tips, insights, and advice on how to create amazing customer experiences whilst building bigger, better, and more profitable businesses as a result. What can you do in your business today and in the years to come to truly delight your clients? What exceptional experiences can you give them to take away and cherish? How can you delight the most important person in the world? Satisfaction makes you one of many. Delighting clients makes you the only one. And you can't be just one. You have to be the only one. Hello and welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan. And in the studio today, guest who, if you're a motorsport fan or a TV fan, you're going to know her as the first and only woman to drive a world rally car. She knows how to compete and how to beat the odds, and has also knows top performance requires even more than sacrifice and maximum commitment. It takes heart, insight, and the courage to keep going and the refusal to quit. She gets it because she's lived it. As a leading authority on mental toughness, she's perfected the art of psychologically powered performance. Her innovative, challenging and transformational insight into how and why developing confidence, resilience, commitment and focus is critical in today's business environment. As a child, she saw alcoholism and mental illness destroy her family. Fleeing home at 14, homeless, fending for herself on the London streets, her life couldn't have been more dangerous or more bleak. Yet, an inner strength and self-belief enabled her to take control of her future. She made the impossible possible and has since dedicated her life to helping others do the same. Really lovely to welcome Penny Mallory. Penny, hi, how are you? Hi, James. I'm fine. I am bearing up. It's uh, it's a funny world we're in at the moment. And uh, as we're recording this, um, UK's just gone into lockdown. So when we come to air in, I don't know, three or four weeks' time, um, I'm really hoping, Penny, that the world will look a little bit brighter. Well, we don't know what um, what lies ahead, but what I do know is that um, there's lots we can all do to, to take advantage and opportunity in this weird time. And well, I think for me, you know, part of my passion really is finding opportunity in a crisis, finding... Um, seeing seeing uh, challenges as opportunities rather than threats that's that's for me what's exciting well so a timing couldn't even well couldn't be more perfect but take give us a bit of your, your history and your story penny because you've uh, the world rally stuff's very exciting but it started in a very bleak place for you didn't it well it's it's a funny story i i grew up in a kind of slightly well massively dysfunctional family my mom was a manic depressive and an alcoholic and was spent most of my childhood in psychiatric hospitals and behaving very weirdly and um I didn't take take it very well Mm -hmm. so emotionally shut down but anyway by the age of 14 um my dad had disappeared and I decided just to get out I couldn't deal with it anymore so I, I left and stayed with a friend's family for a while and then I went to London but um it took a bit of a turn for the worse I ended up in homeless hostels for for a couple of years sofa surfing and heroin addict boyfriend and all that sort of stuff so life wasn't Mm. looking great but I'd always had a dream in my head that I wanted to be a rally driver and um sort of when when the chips were really down and I was deciding whether or not I wanted to carry on with life I thought I'll just get in a rally car first 
um, because I'd always wanted to do it. And thank goodness I did, because it ch- totally changed the course of my life. But how did you get from sofa surfing to rally cars? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I, I didn't have any money. So I borrowed some money from the bank. In those days, there were bank managers sat across a desk. Uh-huh. So I went and said, I need, I need some money for a car. I was lying. It was a rally car. Um, but I borrowed, begged and stole whatever I could to drive rally cars. So I ended up with a debt that actually cost me 14 years to pay off. Um, wow. Yeah. I, I, I didn't care about the money. I just wanted to drive. But what was it about you that could get you out of that that situation that you were in when you were homeless how did you how did you was there a moment where you thought enough's enough or did you just have that sort of inner grit to to push through i i think if i'm honest and i didn't know this at the time but i know now reflecting back the adversity that i'd experienced was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was such a blessing because I didn't realise I had built my bounce-back ability, my confidence, my focus and determination. When when I was going through crazy childhood that was just nuts, I didn't realise I was building the most amazing sort of building blocks for my life where if I set my eyes on something, my sights on something, I will not stop until I get it. I, I built all that completely unbeknown to me so when I got in a rally car and thought oh my god I want to be a champion this is amazing it's the best thing I've ever done in my whole life then it was sort of natural to me to just um to dig deep and get creative and innovative find ways of getting sponsorship and a team and a car and I I was just super resourceful because I I trained myself to be for you know, all the years leading up to it. So I was in a really good position. So I actually think the adversity that I experienced was the best thing that ever happened to me. Why are there not more female racing drivers? There are lots of female racing drivers. You just don't know about them because the races you see, there's a small grid of people Mm -hmm. and um, most of them are in lower championships that aren't maybe televised. Or there's loads and loads of female drivers out there. Do you know what? Motorsport is the least sexist sport I've ever come across. There are no events that women can't enter. There's no restrictions. They couldn't be more welcoming and inclusive. So um, in terms of the top, top level, I would say that um, there's very few men that get to the top. Yeah. And because there's fewer women in it anyway, the chances of their getting a woman to the top with the money, the funding, the talent, the skill, all that stuff. The, the, you know, you're talking about grains of sand on a beach. And there's uh, millions of yeah. people want to do it. No, I should have rephrased my question as why aren't there more women in the top flight of motorsport? Um, I mean, I, I've because I, I look at it and th- I've just been reading Alan Jones' biography, autobiography, and uh, I absolutely love Formula One. Um, and and motorbikes. Um, if you talk to me for long enough, Penny, I can bore you to tears with anything with two wheels. Um, but you look at it and think, well, there's no physical reason why it shouldn't exist. No. So, uh, so, but it's hard for men to to reach that level. Yeah, and it's obviously going to be hard for women just statistically. So, I, I'm not sure that we'll ever see um, a competitive woman. There's only a handful of cars on the grid. You know, the chances of a woman getting one of those is so slim. So. Um, there will be a, a degree of physicality because the mm-hmm. G force they pull are so enormous. But you know, women women can train to be as as physically strong as a man. 
So, well, yeah, I mean, they're not all that big either, are they? Most most uh, most drivers. No, they're tiny. Their necks are enormous. I don't yeah. know if you ever noticed the width of their necks. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah. you can you can train for that stuff. But I, I think it's a statistics game. There's there's just not enough women out there that are good enough. There aren't enough men out there that are good enough. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, there's only twenty spots on the grid. Yeah, there's 20 spots on the grid, and if you've got enough money, you can have one. Yes. Um, which always disappoints me enormously when you look at that and think, well, if my dad's a Canadian businessman, I get to I get to drive for Williams. Um, yeah. Which uh, can't be right, but you know, I'm going to digress a bit for a minute. So, I know, but unfortunately, motorsport, you know, the, the deeper your pockets, the higher up you'll go, and yeah. that's just the nature of the beast. But, you know, there's no there's no satisfaction in coming um, coming last in everything, is there? So, oh, gosh, no. Absolutely not. So, when did you when did you first drive a world rally car? When was that? Oh gosh, it would have been in nineteen ninety nine. It's so long ago. Yeah. So I was begging Ford for a long, long time because I'd driven Fords all my rally career for twelve years, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to leave the sport without having just um, an experience of the top level. And I, they just said no. They said no, 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 no. Yeah. And I kept on, kept on, kept on. And they said, okay, if you want to go in a world rally car, you've got to be in Carlisle tomorrow, two o'clock, and we'll put you in a Ford Focus. And there was no way anybody could get to Carlisle for two o'clock the next day. I was filming the TV show at the time. Anyway, I managed, (laughs) I did, I got a helicopter to take me from London to Carlisle (laughs) and slept in the car. And got in a world rally car the next day. And of course, I think what I think honestly, the team were expecting me to just not be able to do it. And I could. Yeah. And they all went, okay, you can, you can have a drive. But wow. And and so I I got to drive it. It was phenomenal. I'll never, ever forget that day as long as I live. It was the most exciting thing ever. It's just the best piece of kit I will ever, ever get to drive. I can absolutely imagine. I did some work years and years ago for Pro Drive. Um, and so when we're talking about 2000, and they had the um, the WRC cars for Subaru being built there at the time. Um, yeah. And I got to put my head through the door of one. So that was what I was just thinking. Well, <laughs> there were three in the room, and one of them was going to a to an Arab sheikh who who fancied one, and the other two were going to be raced. Um, yeah, and they were quite incredible things. Sitting on a bed in a bed sit, hand, head in your hands, fifteen, fourteen, fifteen years old, and in a helicopter up to Carlisle to drive a world rally car. That is an amazing difference in life, isn't it? Well, it is. Um, I never had my head in my hands, though, James, to be honest, yep. because I never I never saw what was going on around me as anything other than a bit of an adventure. I knew I was going to be okay. I knew – I mean, I did have really down days, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but I was, I was happy. I was looking after myself. I didn't have to look after my mom anymore. I didn't have to answer to anybody. I was in charge of my own destiny, which is something I've always um, – held really importantly you know toward to me it's it's so important that I have control over my life yeah so I was quite excited that you know everything was up for grabs for me and yes it wasn't going my way but I I would I was always a survivor I have to say I, I had hit rock bottom just before I got into a rally car but that changed everything it was it was almost what I'd been waiting for, and I don't quite know what would have happened to me had I not found that rally school that day. Um, <clears throat> doesn't bear thinking about, really, but I'm just glad I did. 
what is it about um, about that kind of mindset that? So let me rephrase my question. How much does our environment affect the way we behave, do you think? Um, it depends what you read. I, I can only go what, what what I see and what I experience, and I think it's massive, massively important. Um, I could ask you the same thing. How do you think your environment's shaped you, mm. your kids, your wife, and, you know, the people around you? It's 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 massively important. Some of it's genetic, some of it's environment, but I, I, I believe most of it's environment. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that you said that actually, because I can understand how much environment does affect people, but, or are we talking about the environment that we make for ourselves rather than a physical environment? Um, well, both, I think the emotional and physical environment. I, I grew up in an environment where, you know, it was just messed up. It was so messed up. I knew in my head that it was messed up, mm-hmm. and that the better, the sooner I got out, the better I'd be. Or, you know, better off I'd be. Um, but you know, I've worked with a lot of young offenders, and the environments that they grow up in, it's hardly surprising. You know, in their mid twenties, they've spent most of their life in in institutions, mm-hmm. young offenders or or grown up prison. Um, their environment has completely shaped them. I mean, some some people are lucky that they will always see opportunity yeah. and grab it, and I was one of those. Um, but I, I, personally, I think I think environment is is just nearly all about you know we we build our our personalities, the way we react and cope and manage based on our experience of life. And is it the same in business? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I, I've always struggled to find a, a defining line between professional and personal mm-hmm. because, you know, I know we do operate slightly differently in, in those environments, but ultimately we're the same person. Yes. Yeah. Um, and if you have a set of values and you have a clear purpose in life, then, you know, it's it's really hard to, to cut one off um, and separate them. But I think in, in business the more you can see opportunity and you know now is a time more than we've ever ever known where we need to look for opportunity not threat um and and the mindset of people right now is it's sort of volatile because people can go one way or the other and and i i just want to work with as many people as i can to keep them buoyant and keep them hopeful resourceful mm-hmm. and keep the energy going because i think you know everyone's housebound it's potentially everyone's energy will drop and their momentum will fall off. And that, that's what worries me. How long is it going to take for us to all get back up to speed? Yeah. You know, apart from the thing, we've all been living a different lifestyle for um, uh, months. There's, there's lots and lots of, of good that I, I really do hope comes out of the, the world we're living in at the moment. Um, I also am very fearful of the amount of of bad that can come from, you know, the isolation, the, the the mental issues, mental health issues that can come out yeah. of this if we don't look after ourselves and, you know, yeah. getting out and exercising and doing those things just to change your, your environment, um, you know, massively important. What can people do, though? If people are, you know, you, you talk about developing confidence and resilience. Um, in fact, it's really interesting. The core values of my business are confidence, resilience, uh, teamwork and fun. 
sorry, top confidence, resilience, commitment, teamwork, and fun. <laughs> and <laughs> and you and reading your intro, confidence, resilience, and commitment, and, and focus. How can we develop those? How can we strengthen those those kinds of personal skills? Um, it, it's it's an experiential thing. I, I work with people to build all of those things, mm-hmm. and for every person, it's slightly different. Right. Um, ultimately, nobody achieves anything on their own. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter where you look and what you look at. Nobody's achieved anything on their own. People around us matter. Building relationships with people. Um, looking out for people, having each other's backs, this is absolutely fundamental to somebody's success. And I think when you start to emotionally retreat, mm-hmm. remove yourself, you're at, you're at real danger. You, you've got to stay in contact with people. You've got to stay linked with people. People ultimately are everything. Yeah. Um, but you can build resili- resilience and confidence by, by trying things that you ordinarily wouldn't because you'll need some evidence in your little bag to prove to yourself that you can do this stuff. So I set people, well, we, we discuss experiences that they would normally move away from right. and we encourage them to move towards. Um, and depending on the person and the issues, it, it, it will change. But, um, you know, we're all stuck with the joint genes we're born with, but we can all develop confidence, resilience, Focus, commitment. These are all things that are absolutely not fixed. What, so what is mental toughness when you talk about that? Mental, well, the, the um, academics will say, <clears throat> the academics will say that the definition of mental toughness is the ability to cope with the stress, the pressure and the challenges of life. Um, it's our bounce back ability. Mm-hmm. It's our ability to face danger, threat and get on with it anyway you know when stuff is chucked at us we can still move forward we're, we're not crushed by it we don't crumble under it we just pick ourselves back up and keep going that that's mental toughness so that feeds into what we were talking about there in terms of confidence and resilience but what i what i i'm i'm wondering and i'm i'm struggling with a little bit is sitting here now I'm looking out the window I can't leave my home for more than once a day there's there's a few things I can do in terms of getting in touch with people but how what can I what little things could I start to do that will help me just grow that toughness a bit well I would I would have to sit and ask you what 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 things you tend to avoid where you I mean I could do a mental toughness assessment on you right and it would tell me it would you'd answer forty eight questions and it would spit out a report and it would show me yeah. your your areas of mental sensitivity because it's not weakness or your and the other end of the spectrum is mental toughness that would actually show me yeah. us the areas for you to develop um, so it's a great starting point but we'd we'd sit and talk about you know what what things if you're absolutely honest with yourself do you think are your weaknesses what where would you think where would you like to develop what do you think you ought to develop right. What would be most useful, and then we just start working on those things. Um, but it, it always starts. Well, it, it it is always just a big conversation. Okay, and it starts with a, a whole lot of um, reality checking. I guess where am I, and what yeah. you know, where am I now? Exactly, and and people being brutally honest with themselves, which quite often they're not. Mm-hmm. Brutally honest, um, really open and transparent, and uh, and really up for it. If you're not really up for it, you're going to cover things up, and that's not enormously helpful if you're looking to develop 
really important life skills. So I, I do require people to, that I work with to be brutally honest and open. I talked with Liz Cashin last week and I went out in the podcast, well, it, it, last week, but it will be a few weeks ago when this goes to air. Um, and she was talking about sort of start this, a, a starting point in all of this is to accept the situation you're in. Would you agree yeah. with that? Well, I would really because um, seeing things as they really are is part of is is part of the point. But also seeing things how you would like them to be, mm-hmm. goal setting the the moving towards a new place is equally as important. Where am I now? What is actually going on now? And where do I want to be? And what need? What do I need to do to get there? What do I need to develop? What do I need to lose? Drop? What do I? You know, it, it is. It is about where I am now, but it's also about where am I going? Yeah. I, I'm. Um, I used to do a lot of counselling, and now I'm a coach. And I always think counselling sort of looking backwards over your life and talking about what happened, mm-hmm. which is very useful for some people. But coaching, you know, where are where are you going? Mm-hmm. Actually, is probably more important than what's gone behind. In your experience, I mean, you've worked with leaders in so many. I mean, if we start to to quote the companies Coca Cola and Waitrose and Tesco and Telefonica and Sony, I mean, it goes on and on and on. Um, with that experience of that, the leaders that you work with, do they have a clear vision all the time, or do they have to work on it and develop it? I'm really shocked at how often they don't have a clear vision. Right, and do you know what? Even more than that. Even if they do have one, they don't communicate it mm-hmm. to people. So there's plenty of people going in and out with big, these big organisations, and they're not really quite sure what the point is. What is it they're actually trying to move towards? What is what is the goal? Um, I think a lot and lot of businesses and, and leaders are very guilty of of even if they've clarified their goal, their mission, they just forget to communicate it, and they don't communicate it regularly. You know, everyone needs to be told stuff over and over and over for it to sink in. So that's what I see an awful lot. I also see, which is a little bit disheartening, you know, the purpose, the values, the mission, the the, the statements that organisations make, which just don't make any sense at all. They've tried to cram in every yeah. interesting word, you mm. know, the current word, and it doesn't actually mean anything to anyone there's no emotional buy-in from people so they're just kind of well that's that's the mission statement but it doesn't mean anything to me I don't know why or how I could contribute to that it's a difficult it's a difficult thing though isn't it because I I mean I'm working with with lots of businesses I I often start at that point with them and say look you know let's let's especially when we're looking at who they're going to be recruiting into their businesses Um, and you know, often you see these words on a wall and you think, where the hell did they come from? And if you ask them, their answer is, oh, well, they were just given to us. You know, the buy- <laughs> there's no buy-in from the from the uh, the people because it doesn't mean anything. Well, that's exactly right. There's no emotional link. You know, there's, they, you're right. They just see a little speech bubble on the wall with some interesting words in it, but it means absolutely nothing to them. And I, I think it's such a missed opportunity. If you could really get people to buy in, really get them enthused to following your vision that to create this future that doesn't yet exist. If you could really enthuse people to come on board with that, God, you would have such an impact. But I think there's such a missed opportunity with so many organisations to do that. Isn't that the key to leadership, being able to draw people to your, to, to buy people into your vision and then take them with you on the journey? Entirely, yeah. 
And I think a lot of leaders don't see that necessarily as their their primary role. Right. Um, but for me, you know, it's once you've got people bought in, you could do anything with anyone. Yeah. You know, if you've got them on side, you've only got one thing as a leader, haven't you? And that's followers. And if you if they're not following you, that then <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, you're a manager, then, aren't you? Yeah. It's um, it's just a missed opportunity for me, and and that's why I, I love working on that stuff with people. And it's uh, it's something that do you find people really enjoy working on it too? Is it something that they they find easy or difficult, or you know? Well, I think it 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 is it it does come down to the emotion. If 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 it feels if you feel like you belong, you feel like you're with a group of people that are like minded. You know, you're all in it together. Mm-hmm. People do terribly excited it's you know we love to be part of something interesting and innovative and different and challenging human beings love a challenge Mm -hmm. they love to work together and you know you bring all those things together and it becomes quite powerful um and I just wish I saw more of it I do see it and when I do see it it just thrills me it's so obvious when it's working well and and that the leader has absolutely got everybody following in like a Pied Piper. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing to see. It just doesn't happen as often as I would like. Well, there'd be better businesses about if they did, I guess. Um, but you, but some of these names, some of these businesses that you worked with or are working with are quite phenomenal setups and got a very long way. They must have had some of that at some point. Well, I guess they have and people come and people go and missions come and missions go and the world changes and turns. But, you know, right now, <clears throat> the leaders that have done that good work up front, you know, before this corona thing, these are the organisations that are going to come out on top because the people are so emotionally bought into that leader and that mission. Mm-hmm. They will be completely, absolutely up for grabs to do whatever they're told. They will be there. And those are the businesses that are going to probably come out on top, the ones where the people matter the most. And that's always been you know, a policy of that organisation. They're going to be the really... The really strong ones. I was talking to a friend this morning who um, who runs a clothing shop, um, and he, he caters to the kind of older generation. Um, obviously, at the moment, that's a hell of a business to be, and he's having a, a really tight time, like almost everybody is. Um, and he was talking about the days when, um, before he worked in that industry, where people just tried to make as much money out of each other as they could. And now people are understanding that actually it's about the relationships you build and the and the business that's built around that that'll see you through. And so, so kind of what you're saying there, I guess, is that, you know, businesses who really truly look after people, who think about their people, will become bigger and better and stronger and more resilient as a business in total. And the others will hopefully disappear. Exactly that. I mean, it, ultimately, it's... We've been through the 80s, haven't we, when it was all greed and money and um, look what it did for, for us. And hopefully now we've we've all realised that it's actually this is success is about building relationships with people, feeling energised, feeling enthused, focused, committed. You know, it's exciting when you're focused and committed. It's it's really rewarding and people love it. Um, and, and I'm really happy, that, you know, we've turned a tide and people mm-hmm. are recognising that it's all about people. You are related to a very famous man, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. So do you think, being related to George Mallory, that, you know, who I'm sure most people know is the, the first man to conquer Mount Everest, is that is that blood 
part of your makeup that makes you so strong to drive forward or is that just something that's a, a really interesting thing to know about you well i don't george mallory was my it was on my grandfather's side i think he was a cousin or something so you right. know, it's a little bit far removed um but i always thought you know i wonder if i if if george mallory's in my fam was in my family do I have those adventurous genes? So I tried to, well, I didn't try to, I conquered two of the World's Seven Summits sort of in his honour. Right. Um, I, I was sick of mountains after that, and I thought, no, mountains <laughs> can absolutely stick them. But, you know, he was the first man to conquer Everest, but um, Edmund Hillary is the one that's gone down in history for doing it. But let me just tell you an interesting story. When George Mallory was at base camp in 1924, I think it was, mm-hmm. He said, uh, I'm going to take a picture of my wife, Ruth, with me, and I'm going to leave it on the summit. And I don't quite know why he was carrying a wallet in 1924. (laughs) There weren't many shops there, were there? But he also had a pipe and apparently had a foie gras pâté and they they read Shakespeare after dinner and they dressed in tweed, of all things. Um, They went up. And he never came back down. And his body was found 30, uh, 75 years later by Conrad Anker, um, a famous American uh, mountaineer. And Conrad went over his body. I talked to Conrad about this. He took all George's personal items, but there was no wallet. Oh, no, no, there was a wallet. They found the wallet inside his, his chest, um, his jacket. Right. And But there was no photo of Ruth in there. So that's all I needed to know, that he, Actually, he did make it to the summit, and he was found dead just below the summit. Goodness me! I mean, I, we you look at people who who climb, people like you've done, you know, climbed ridiculous mountains. I say ridiculous because nothing in the world would make me want to do that. Um, but I very, very, um, I have massive respect for people who do. But they do it with some pretty substantial climbing equipment. These guys did it in tweed and a pair of shoes. Yeah. <laughs> just crazy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the photographs and you think, how on earth? And the oxygen tanks they used, it was the equivalent of carrying a teenager on your back, the weight. Oh, you know, how they did it, I just don't know. So my respect, I mean, I, I didn't enjoy climbing mountains. I have to be honest with you. It's really scary. Every day you think you'll die. Right. And um, there's no one there to come and help you when the weather turns. It's it's a very, very dangerous and scary thing to do, and I don't ever want to do it again. I put everything on eBay, sold it. Much better um, off driving a very fast car around some lovely forests. Yeah, and I don't even get to do that anymore. I just get to talk about it now. Well, but, um, yeah. I, have, I have been, James, extraordinarily fortunate to have done some amazing things, and you know, I've worked all over the world and had an absolute ball, and and that's because of my mental toughness. Mm-hmm. That's because. I had developed it through adversity. So, you know, one of the things that I, I'm, I guess I'm passionate about saying is that it doesn't matter what's happened to you and actually what has happened to you could stand you in the best stead possible. So it doesn't matter where you come from. All that matters is where you're going. Well, that looks sounds like a very good time for me to ask you the big question. Penny, what one thing, what's your big thing, your golden nugget, your piece of advice that people can take to do to do now to do something different in their business today that'll make it better for today and better for the years to come. What would that be? Um, I'm going to have to to default to people um, having a really clear vision, a really clear vision, and I don't mean nonsense, silly, 
topical words. I mean, a really clear vision of what you want to achieve. Getting a great great bunch of people around you, telling them and sharing with them, enthusing them with that vision. Because ultimately, you can't do anything on your own. You rec- you're going to rely on people. So forging incredible relationships with extraordinary people, for me, you can't go wrong. That is That is the key to success. Fantastic, Penny. Thank you so much. It's been such a great time chatting with you. It's an absolute pleasure, James. I hope you really enjoyed this episode of The Only One Business Show, and I look forward to sharing your company again very soon. If you'd like to subscribe, please do so wherever you pick up your podcasts. And in the meantime, have a great day. Bye for now.